fascinated by how people ended up where they are as a photographer, but to, to get there in the first place, we need to find out why it is that you picked up a camera in the first place. So what was it that made you want to become a photographer? Well, I actually, I started as an artist. I, I use the word artist a lot instead of photographer. Photographer is easier to find in a Google search, uh, like when you're finding clients. But I started as an artist pretty much my whole life. And I have an uh, art degree actually like in fine arts, specifically in oil painting. That was kind of my, my thing. Mm-hmm. And I kind of picked up a camera out of convenience and obviously being in the industry for a while now, realizing it's not necessarily convenient um, by how much goes into it. But I kind of got burnt out on painting and that's a whole other process in itself. It's a whole other thing of supplies. You have to find the right spot to do it because of chemical smells and things like that. And it really is just kind of out of convenience. I remember um, growing up, we never had like great cameras in my family, but we had like Polaroid cameras. We had like point and shoot. So I would just kind of play with those. And I had a film camera growing up. Um, I used to just get like expired film because it was cheap. You know, we didn't have a lot of money to like put towards that kind of stuff. So I really just kind of learned little by little how to develop my own stuff. I don't think I could do it anymore. Like I would have to relearn it, but yeah, I guess just part of me was like, I need to create, I don't have a spot to paint anymore because of moving around in my life. So I was like, let me just try this. And I just kind of blossomed really from there. Um, I liked being able to capture something in an instant too, instead of waiting for like painting for hours and days and weeks and months when I felt like I could take a photo and I could have that memory right then and there. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where that was a long answer. That's kind of how it started. It's a podcast. Long answers are always good. (laughs) With regards to, with regards to the painting transitioning into photographs, did you have similar interest in terms of the subject that you were then interpreting? Yeah. I, as much as I would love to be somebody that painted or photographed landscapes, that's just not, me. Um, I've, I've never really kind of gone for that. I've always been really interested in people. Um, I'm actually a really shy person. I can talk to people, no problem, but internally I'm very, very shy. I'm just always grew up that way. But I always, the second I was either painting, like doing live drawing or painting with a subject or eventually photographing them, I always felt like I could have a connection with somebody right away. Um, there's been very, very few times in my life where I pick up a camera or a paintbrush or anything where I couldn't have at least a moment of connection with somebody. And I really, really thrive on that. I think there's a difference between having a conversation with somebody, maybe over coffee, like you might be connecting, you might be having a good conversation, but there's a difference when you're like, somebody is almost in a vulnerable state, but in your own way, you're kind of in your own vulnerable state because you're trying to capture them as you see them, as opposed to how they see themselves, which can go. I mean, that's a lot of how my work is based now over the last few years is very emotion based. I have to, I kind of have to know my subject in some way. I love to talk to people beforehand and really get to know them. And I, I think that helps you know, it goes with the painting and the drawing and the photography altogether. It helps kind of 
let people know that you're a real person as well. You're not just somebody that walks in, takes their photo and walks out. I get it. Like sometimes it's just, you don't have the time. Like if you're photographing a celebrity and like doing stuff like that, obviously there's not that you're not able to do that, but I'm not doing that right at this moment. So I like, I like to be able to take the time and like, tell me about you. Tell me about your life. So that's kind of where I feel that's kind of how it transitioned. Cause it, it wasn't a huge, in its own right, it wasn't a huge transition because I was still kind of doing the same thing. I just changed my medium that I was using. Did you feel like that was a big carryover of, in terms of, I guess, visual skill um, from, from painting into photography? Can you actually bring across the way that you, you are seeing a scene, the way that you're interpreting it into photography, or are they just very, very different mediums? I think for myself, I think they carried over really well. Um, whenever I have a conversation with somebody and I talk about, you know, talking about photography and how I started, um, you know, I was like, I was a painter, like I did figure drawing. That was like what I did for school is what I've done most of my life. And they're like, Oh, I see it in your work. And to me, that's like a great compliment. Cause I'm like, cool. So there is something in me that needed to constantly create this way. So for myself, I, I, I think it transitioned pretty well. And I think the, people can see the transition with how I'm photographing, um, I've been very into um, kind of set design in its own right lately too. Right. I I really like a deconstructed look. I like a studio look, um, especially since I shoot in such a small space. I have to really, really get creative. And sometimes just having a blank wall is nice for some things, but I really want to like, how can I change this up? How can I make this seem like more than what it is? So somebody walks away and they're like, I can't believe we created that in that space. I can't believe we created that with just those few things. So yeah, I, I mean, I think, I, I think it is something I've carried over into what I do now, especially with having a lot of my post-production be very painterly as well for some of my work. I mean, you mentioned emotion-based work and that's something that I think really stands out with, with your imagery. I think we're becoming more and more sterile um, in photography, when it comes to editorial and, and beauty and fashion work, it's becoming more and more clinical. And to have that emotion, that expression in there is is something that I feel, I really feel is starting to kind of get lost in the mix. I've actually listened to another podcast in, involving you as part of my research for this. Huh. You brought up Peter Lindbergh, who's an enormous influence on on myself, although you wouldn't be able to tell from my terrible photos. <laughs> when it comes to someone like Peter Lindbergh, you know, it's, is it him being an influence or any photographer that's an influence on you? Are you as influenced by the manner in which they go about getting their photos as much as these photos themselves? Do you, do you look into their mannerisms and the way that they interact with the people that they're photographing? I think, and I, I don't remember the exact quote off the top of my head, but Peter Lindbergh was more about photographing the woman than the clothes uh, when he right. was doing, you know, uh, for fashion photography. And that always stuck with me. And I always... I, you know, there's tons of amazing fashion photographers. There's tons of amazing photographers in general, but he always, my whole life stuck out to me besides the black and white imagery, which I do a lot myself. I always felt like I could look at his images, even of maybe a subject I didn't know because he did photograph a lot of famous people, but I felt like I knew them in a different way too. Like I felt like they had a connection with him even though he was behind the camera, he was, you know, I don't, I have no idea how much he actually spoke to his subjects. It seemed like he was a very friendly person, but 
there was just a different, he was doing something different and it was more about who he was photographing and less about everything else. And I understand like an editorial, sometimes, you know, you're selling an outfit, you need to like show the outfit and stuff. But I think that he got so into his career that he was like, I can kind of do this. This is what is important to me. And it just, it always stuck out to me whenever I'm looking at other photographers and artists that that's what I look for. Um, there is a filmmaker and she, she's done a lot of like actually music videos in the nineties and she's uh, a photographer as well. I hope I'm saying her name right. I don't know if I've ever heard it pronounced. Uh, Floria Sigzamani. So she does a lot of kind of wild stuff. Like she was doing music videos for like Marilyn Manson in the nineties. And right. so her stuff was very kind of almost along with like Tim Walker. So very like angular, weird, but I still felt like I was connecting with their subjects, even though they're, you know, maybe we're carrying crutches or wearing weird makeup or something like that, like, you know, as a prop. So that was something that always stuck out to me that I felt was important in my work. Um, almost to a fault maybe at times where I feel like I have to do something different and not different to be different for that sake, but just like, what is the next thing I can push myself towards? And I kind of blame an artist's brain for that in its own right as well. That it's just like, what is, I think it's good to grow sometimes again, an artist's brain to its fault. And I'm sure anybody listening that considers themselves an artist, it can be kind of a, yeah, (laughs) it can be a little rough on the brain. Sometimes you're like, what's my next step? Okay. Like, I think it's important to look back at your own work and be like, this is good, but I'm better now. And this is why. And I think a lot of it has to do with me really just connecting with subjects more. I'm not afraid to photograph people. Um, I think that's a big one with photographers and it takes a while too. Like I, I didn't walk into my first session, you know, when I started working professionally and be like, Oh my gosh, I can totally photograph anybody, no nerves or anything that takes a long time. And again, like I said before, I am a very shy person. So I really had to figure out, okay, this person is human and I'm human and they're here for a reason. And I'm here for a reason. How can we connect on that and really go from there? So again, kind of a long answer to get back to like what you said, like mentioning Peter Lindbergh that I had mentioned in another podcast. It's really just that it's that connection And a lot of times with his work as well, which is a lot of what I do in my own work is yes, there's some posing, but I kind of want like a moment. Like I will still photograph somebody as they're talking sometimes. (laughs) Obviously we know, you know, we're going to shoot way more than we're going to show our our clients or whoever, but I want that moment. And sometimes those are some of my favorite images where somebody is taking the time to like maybe brush their hair back or maybe they're mid sentence and they have this like different smile. It's hard to recreate that. Um, that's one thing I almost never do is I almost never really put my camera down. It's always close to me if I have to capture a moment. So to keep it like authentic and part of like the emotion of their session. And a lot of times clients are happiest with those images. Yeah. You've mentioned sort of having an artist's brain and that creativity. When it comes to being a photographer, something, and it doesn't actually matter if it's a photographer, anyone that works in any kind of creative artistic field, the minute you introduce money and the need to earn money from, from that particular medium, sometimes the passion can be lost. Sometimes people can sort of deviate from where they want to be 
And I think you have to, in some ways, compromise. For you, how, how do you go about balancing your own personal creativity with filling briefs and, and keeping clients happy? Oh, this is such a loaded question, but we all need to ask ourselves that. Um, I actually, I, I have a friend who is in the hair industry and we, we had, she literally asked me the same question not that long ago. And it's, it's kind of in the, in the photography industry, it's like, you're either a business person or an artist, but you need to be more of a business person. And my mind doesn't naturally go towards the business. I've gotten much better as I go along and get to know this industry and get to know myself as a business owner. But a lot of times you'll hear somebody say like, you need to be a business owner first and then an artist second and how not that the work's not important. And obviously you should be putting out quality work for your clients, but it's not as important as running your business. And I struggle with that a lot. I'm trying to be almost in the middle where I can be a good business owner and a good artist at the same time and make a very superior product. Um, and having that conversation with my friend, she made a good point. She's like, that just means you have to work a little bit harder. So I don't know if she means harder as in more hours, because I think a lot of us as entrepreneurs and business owners, we don't work normal hours. There's never a normal day where I'm like, I try, I write myself a schedule, like, Hey, do this by this time, do this by this time. It almost never works that way because something else comes up. But, um, one thing I've learned in the madness of 2020 is boundaries and balance. And I think some of it had to do with, you know, we were all shut down and unfortunately some of us getting shut down again and having that time to really set boundaries where, I mean, you were not really working with clients too often. And it really made me, it pushed my business brain a lot more, but I didn't want to lose. I think that's the fear for me at least. I don't know if others feel this way, I fear that if I become a better business owner, that I'm going to lose the creativity. Right. And I'm trying to find the balance in between and somehow make it work where, yes, you can be like in the middle and be a really great business owner and be a really great artist and still sell that product. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Coming back to your work, how much of it, in, a, in if we were to sort of ratio it up or percentage it up, how much of the work that you do, how many clicks of the camera in terms of a percentage are personal work compared to stuff that you're doing for the business? Um, well, this, again, strangely this year, I've been busy, which is good, even with a couple of months of shutdown. Um, but I always, I don't know if I can give a percentage. I can try. I would say probably 60% clients, maybe 40% personal. But I always found it really important to always have a personal project to do. Um, you know, there's things that we create sometimes that we can do a version of it for a client, but it's not really client work, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, like some of my more artsy, like fine art stuff. I don't mind if somebody wants something like that, but I have to find a version of it that works better. Because I mean, like a lot of times we're working on something that's like, um, composited work or something. That's a, that's a lot of extra work. So obviously we're charging clients extra for that kind of stuff. I really just want to do it on my own time for fun. Um, I've done that. I do that a lot with self-portraits. That's kind of like my own personal work is doing self-portraits. Well, does that feed into your, your understanding of what it's like to be on the other side of the camera? Has that changed? Has it changed the way that you direct people? 
Yes, absolutely. I think it's really important because I think I, I, I could be wrong, but most of my photographer colleagues and friends hate being photographed. Like yeah. we don't want to be photographed. We like being on the other side. It's where we can create. It's safe. We don't have to worry about it, but you know, there are times where I do self portraits. I don't really want to. I've actually found when I'm in a bad mood, if I take self portraits and I take the time to go do makeup and put on like, I guess costume might be kind of not the right word, but like put on something that I wouldn't normally wear. It makes me feel better. I might only edit one image from that session, but you know, it's just kind of, it's a mood booster for me. It's not for everybody. I know it might be, it might be different for men. I don't know. I'm, I'm fully supportive of men wearing makeup and costumes. I think that that should be done more often. And, uh, you know, with self-portrait work, and I've talked about it a lot with other colleagues and friends and actually in other podcasts and things, um, you don't have to show anybody. Like you literally can just take, you know, and really see how it feels. Like maybe like practice lighting is a good way too, especially since we can't really do a whole lot of stuff right now. Um, in big groups, especially like take time to like learn your lighting that way and learning different faces. Like, you know, I've learned how to light myself and so well from doing this over the years. And sometimes I'll play with lighting and I'm like, that does not work for my face at all. And if I have a client with a similar issue or, you know, similar face shape, I know what to do and what not to do. And I feel like a lot of times there's maybe the pressure. If you're working with a client, you're like, okay, I only have this amount of time. I have to like shoot fast and you maybe rush through things and they could be a little bit more perfected if you took the time beforehand or over the weekend or wherever and just kind of played with the lighting. And then you can walk in way more confident with your client too, instead of fumbling with lights and stuff like that. Not that that's wrong, but I, I've just always found that the more that I know what I'm doing ahead of time, I walk in like really confident and can be the person that they hired really, instead of feeling like it's my first day. Well, it's interesting. You leave me with a bit of a fork in the road there because there's sort of two lines of questioning I want to go to from there. Let's stick with something that you brought up very briefly uh, within that, which was that you don't have to post stuff. You don't have to publish stuff online that you take. You can just take it for, for your own reasons and for learning and whatnot. How much of a skill is that, do you think, in a generation where people can't eat a meal without posting it online? And I'm probably taking a stab at my <laughs> wife right now by saying that. Um, they can't eat a meal without posting it online. They can't do anything without, you know, uh, as we would say in England, bigging themselves up online. Um, how important of a skill is it to kind of learn to edit yourself in terms of what you're publishing? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, I, <laughs> I might be the wrong person to ask is like, if I do a self-portrait series, I'm usually pretty excited about it. And I post at least one from it. Um, but for the most part, if I'm doing self-portraits, I guess I'm doing it for about an hour. I don't really like to do it longer because that's another thing too. I've learned from clients is really like how long I'm photographing them after a certain amount of time, people are over it. They're done. They're tired. And I felt that way myself too, like doing it. And sometimes I'll do like multiple setups and other people don't see those because I'm like, what was I thinking? What was I thinking with this outfit? What was I thinking with this posing? What was I thinking with this lighting? And I mean, over time I've gotten better about that and I can shoot them way like quicker, but 
I don't know. Maybe I'm more like your wife. I like to share. I like to share them. And sometimes I like to share something that's completely different. Um, like more of my recent posts I've done, like on Instagram, they're a little bit different than what I typically do, but I also wanted to, Mm -hmm. in my own right, I'm kind of proud of the range that I've done to kind of show that I can do the range. I mean, like, to be honest, like online too, I'm followed by mostly other like photographers and colleagues. So, you know, we want to share our work. We want to share what we do. And if somebody asks a question, like in the comments, I want to answer that. Like uh, a lot of times it's like, what's this backdrop? And I've actually been using like digital ones a lot lately, kind of playing with that again, like in my downtime, cause it's a whole other world. And uh, I don't know. I like, <laughs> I like sharing it honestly. Um, but not everybody is comfortable with that, especially if you don't feel like you're ready. There's definitely been times where I've talked to friends and they're like, I did sell portraits, but they came out horrible. And it's like, okay, well, what can you learn from it? Was it just how you were shooting, what you were shooting, lighting you were shooting, like, and really just kind of go from there. Trust me, there are, I don't know, let's just say of a hundred self-portraits I've shared over the years, there's probably at least a thousand that I haven't shared, you know, where it's just like, no one needs to see that. <laughs> or I take it down eventually. I'm just like, you know what? No, no, that one was just, uh, that one was a day, you know? So that's a nice thing too. Is like, yeah, when we publish online, obviously it's out there forever, but not everybody knows that you can put it on your Instagram. You can change your feed once in a while. You can put it back up. Like that's like kind of the beauty of like archiving stuff too, is you can come back to it. Or I like to compare work later. Um, I've did a shoot with a very good friend of mine about, I think almost six years ago at this point. And then we shot again two years ago and we did the, I was like, I want to do the exact same outfit. I want to do the almost the same location. And I compared them online. Like, um, I'm sure that post is like way, way, way down, but it was a side by side. And I was like talking about growth in what I've been doing as well. And it's kind of hard sometimes to go backwards as I'm assuming, you know, again, kind of tying that into self portraits. It's hard to, hard to look at yourself a whole bunch. Um, but I think it's important. Um, it's not easy to edit your own face all the time. It can be a little odd. You're like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, you have to walk into it as if you're talking to a client too. You don't want your client to come in and nitpick everything. You have to kind of do it for yourself as well. You can't upload, you can't photograph and then just completely nitpick. You have to kind of set your own ego aside, I guess in its own right. And really just focus on, okay, this is what I did right. Maybe this is what I want to change. Ooh, I bet you I could get clients to do this pose and they would love it. And that's how I learned a lot of stuff, especially working. I work a, uh, where I currently live is a small space that I work in. And for the most part, most of my career, I've shot in very small spaces and really kind of learning how to put somebody in a space too. Um, so I don't know. I'd always say do self portraits on more than just your phone. Going back a couple of years, I, I was sadly introduced to someone that turned out to be a complete sociopath who's a uh, up and coming photographer and got to know him for for a little while before I kind of the the veil fell off and I figured out who he was but one of the things that he said to me um, when when we first started talking was that um he didn't this is it was a bizarre conversation but his criticism f- of me was that my portfolio didn't show enough signs of improvement and that I was doing too essentially too good of a job of rooting out older work that wasn't standing up anymore 
and I should leave that stuff in so that people can see sort of the distance of improvement as kind of like a, almost like a mile marker, I guess, of of the time that you've been doing it and, and sort of where you've been and where you are now. And I've never really been able to get my head around that as, as, an, as a concept that you would intentionally leave images that you're not happy with in your own portfolio just to prove that you're not as bad as you used to be. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like with your portfolio, I mean, how aggressive are you with, with removing things that don't quite stand up anymore? Um, well, especially like with Instagram, because I do have clients follow me. I have potential clients follow me. I have people, you know, that's how they reach out to me a lot. I want to show work that I'm currently doing and an option. Right. So if somebody said, Hey, oh my gosh, I love this. It's not something that I don't do anymore. Cause I mean, I feel like that too. Like as we grow and we change as photographers and artists, we don't always want to go back and shoot certain things. And if I have that up there, I mean, it's, it's really, it's education for your client too, to just be like, you know, here, this is, this would work better for you. Um, same when you're having like a consultation with them, I kind of just, especially with Instagram, I like to just kind of keep my feed. What it what excites me too. Like, right. what was I really excited to work on? And that's not saying anything bad against like a past session or a past client or model or anything I worked with. Just sometimes I feel like there's just different growth there. And I will come back to maybe an idea I had and maybe just change it up to be more who I am now. Um, you know, my editing process is different. A little parts of my shooting process are different. My lighting process is different. How can I bump it up to be more of who I am now? It's just like people changing throughout their whole lives. Like, and I've heard that constantly, you know, from being an artist, um, you know, going to art school and things like that, that you should see improvement in your work. If you're kind of staying in one spot, maybe kind of evaluate where that's going. You know, if it's okay, like it's okay if it's a comfort level for you and you're getting clients and that's working for you, that's good. But when you're doing personal projects, I feel like you should see a little bit of growth there. I might, people might disagree with that one a little bit that you shouldn't necessarily with clients, but I think there is a little bit of that that should happen. Um, I, I just personally don't like having a lot of my old work up. I have some from probably two years ago, maybe three but I kind of leave up things that are exciting to me. I still love, um, I will show more older work when I'm teaching or doing any kind of education because I'm actually speaking to the photographer instead of my client. My client doesn't need to know all the ins and outs. They're not in the business. You mentioned education there. If I could jump on the education side of things really quickly, mm-hmm. um, anytime that someone, especially a creative person decides to pass on information through education. I always find it quite interesting, the the motivation. So was it sort of a case of you had a lot of people asking you, how did you do this? How did you do this? And you were to kind of collate that into one outlet where people could find all the information or was there always a plan at some point from a creative point of view for you to also teach? Um, a little bit of both. Um, when like kind of going backwards a little bit when I was in school, I always knew that I wanted to teach something creative. Um, I realized that again, painting just wasn't for me. So I kind of just, you know, I haven't painted in probably close to a decade now. It's been a while. Um, because I found what I was passionate about and I like sharing that with people. Um, this year being weird, I've kind of taking, 
taken a, just a slight sabbatical on teaching just so I could like revamp for when we can actually do things in person. Um, but I, I just, I like sharing my knowledge and it kind of, again, kind of going back again, like backwards, I'm a shy person, but when I started having more people ask me things and sending me messages or I was like, Hmm, I should be putting this on a different platform than just responding to a DM. And so I've done in the past, I've done some mentoring, obviously this year's no, I haven't done any like one-on-one things. Um, you know, I've, I've done some workshops and stuff like that. So I'm slowly still growing as an educator. Um, this year put a halt on things. I know I've said it a couple of times, but I really want to help in a way that I can. There's a lot of stuff. Like I know some technical stuff. I'm not a technical photographer. You know, if you want something to do with lighting or knowing all the ins and outs of your camera, probably not your girl for that. The lighting a little bit, but if you're asking me a whole bunch of like, does this work with this? I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> so, but if we're talking about creativity, styling, talking to your clients, building a business that's a little bit more art based, then I'm the person for that. And I, there's tons of education out there and there's a lot of stuff that is like that, but I, you know, to kind of toot my own horn about it, I think that I'm offering something a little bit different. And mm-hmm. I'm happy that people actually want to know, like I could put a bunch of stuff out there and people would be like, I don't really care about what she's doing, but <laughs> it's, but I want to help people too. There's that, there's that feeling of like, I like seeing people I've talked to, or I've seen someone that's come to a workshop and they're putting out work and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And then they're really making it their own too. That's the thing. I think that there's a little fear of people copying us sometimes. Yeah. And there, we all have inspiration from somewhere. I mean, that's just, just given like, I love Peter Lindberg. I'm never going to copy his work, but there are little things that he does. that I definitely do in my own work. I'm not copying him. I have inspiration from him. I have inspiration from paintings and sculptures and things like that. Like we all, nobody's doing anything that's hundred percent like original anymore. And that's okay. So if I can help somebody in a different part of what they're creating or their business, and then they're making it their own, then I feel like that's the reason I'm an educator. I want to help. Well, something I figured out quite quickly when I ran my first few workshops and even to the last one that I ran, which was earlier in the summer when we were allowed some freedom, was that just externalizing your own thought process actually teaches you quite a bit about the steps that you're taking. Because I think, please tell me if I'm wrong here, for me as, as a creative person, quite a lot of the things that I do are instinctive. And when I externalize them, I actually start to sort of figure out my own logic behind why I make certain decisions. I'm not the most mm-hmm. conscious creative. I'm someone that kind of more makes decisions based on feeling rather than really mapping out what I'm doing ahead of time. And and just externalizing it is a way of kind of teaching yourself your own process. And it kind of, it's something that's taught me to boil down what I want to get from a situation and get there quicker rather than in the past where I would just go by feeling and it would take me quite a while to go through mm-hmm. probably several bad ideas to reach the good one. Are you, are you <laughs> someone that has, have you learned a bit about yourself just from teaching? Yeah. I mean, kind of like pretty much what you said was, was pretty spot on with that. And, uh, probably is a little bit different. Teaching has kind of taught me to like get out of my own shell as well. Um, you know, 
probably years ago, having this conversation, even now between you and I, like I would have been super nervous, but I'm excited about talking to people and teaching people. And, you know, I, I have a lot of people that are more on the beginning side of photography and some of my workshops. And I've, I mean, I've had people that are obviously way advanced as well. And there's that nice feeling of like, I want to learn something from this person. They're doing something different. They're, it's not the same as this. And that's okay too. If you're going to workshops, like I said, that are very basic, like one-on-one lighting, things like that. But no, I just, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, I'm almost like kind of choked up about it. I, I just, I love that feeling of, it's, again, it's like a connection thing as well. Like I love connection with people and I found a way to talk to people and get excited and be creative. And they're in the same industry as me too. And they might be where I was five years ago, you know, where it's right. new, it's scary. It's, I don't know how to do this. How do you do this? And that's why I like that there are, you know, you can go on YouTube. There's tons of ways to get education in this stuff. But I kind of like that there's a little bit of healthy competition, I guess, in its own right of who the photo educators are out there. Because I think we're all offering something so different. And even if, it, if there is a similarity, like you're doing this thing that's amazing and I'm doing this thing that's amazing and people are, you know, going to that. And I mean, I think it's also important too, even with doing education, I still go to conferences. I still do workshops. I still have a mentor. Like, I think all of that is important too. Like just because you have an education, like an educator hat on does not mean that you're just like done. Like that's it. Like you should constantly be learning. I think knowledge, I mean, for lack of a better term, knowledge is power. And it's awesome to see like educators on all different levels too. People have been in the industry for 20 plus years and people have been in the industry for like two years and they're doing stuff. Like I like this like community over competition thing. Right. Again, I'm going off on a tangent. I know a little bit, but it makes me excited. It's a, it's it makes a podcast. Me happy. You are, it's a podcast. You are more than welcome to as many tangents as you want to go down. <laughs> but yeah, it just, it makes me excited. It makes me happy. It, it also too makes me happy to, I think a lot of us just being human beings can have moments where we're lost, where we don't know what we want to do with ourselves. And I feel like this was something that finally brought me joy and happiness and a, a community that like, you know, obviously people are all over the world. Most photographers have friends that don't live close to them. And I only have a few that live locally. And other than that, everybody else is away, but there's also that sense of, just home together. So that's why I really like doing the education thing as well. Something I really want to talk to you about that I have really no idea how this kind of comes together. Something I'm very fascinated by. And I feel like you're the perfect person to ask because you come across as someone that's, I, I get the feeling you either have a lot of notebooks or you have a lot of notes in your phone or there's post-it <laughs> notes around you. You're a very planned out person. Um, and I, I might be completely wrong. I'm literally talking to a disembodied voice that's on the other side of a really big <laughs> amount of water. But I get that impression. And one style of work that you do, which I'm always fascinated by, and I'd love to actually adapt any skill at all into being able to do is editorials. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the planning of an editorial, just if you could just, I know we don't want this to be a job interview, but I'm just asking you to educate me here. <laughs> 
when it comes to assembling the idea for an editorial, what comes first? Do you put together the personnel, the team that you're going to use, and then adapt the idea around that? Or do you come up with the idea and then find the personnel to fill in the spaces? Well, I mean, kind of just to start, it can go two ways. If I'm shooting something specifically for like an edit, like a publication that reached out to me, then I kind of have to go on their idea. But luckily, it, I mean, because I've not been in any big magazines yet. I have to say yet, like, you know, Vogue or anything. <laughs> um, I like to manifest that, you know. Um, I, I kind of go off of an idea first. Like, what am I... Like, Really, for me, space is important. What space am I shooting in? Um, and normally, it's you know my like home studio. Um, what vibe am I going for? And then I can kind of think of the person. Sometimes I don't have the time. It's kind of a this publication is going to put something out in like a week. <laughs> you should probably shoot something for it. Um, I'm probably a good person to ask this question and a bad person at the same time. Um, I have a brain that runs a million miles a minute all the time too. <laughs> um, uh, actually yesterday I did a creative shoot with two friends of mine that I've worked with a lot in the past. Um, my makeup artist who was actually one of the main people I use for clients as well. And then a friend of mine who's been a model for a few years. And I did have that one kind of pre-planned. We really only had a couple days to get it together. Um, they were sending me messages like, Hey, what's the idea? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't, oh, this sounds awful. I don't always know. I kind of just go with it. Um, sometimes I'm kind of inspired by a wardrobe piece I have. And if it's like springtime and I know springtime editorials are coming out, I'm like, Oh, well, this gown will work. This location will work. Um, what person will fit it? And then I kind of go through that. Um, I don't think you necessarily have to use models from agencies, but obviously if you're looking for someone with more experience and that's where you want to go. Um, oh gosh. I feel like I'm the all, I feel like I'm really like make, discrediting myself. But again, like I feel like uh, my brain is very good adapting in a situation in a snap. Like, like, wait, you don't have this. You don't have this. Well, how can you adapt to it? Right. So, um, you know, it's kind of like you're drowning. How are you going to get out? Like, that's kind of how my brain works where I'm like, I can survive that way. Cause I know. Um, but with the shoot yesterday, I did kind of have an idea a little, like literally a day ahead of time. Um, I, I found these like antique doors, like literally on an old house, like they're falling apart. And I knew I wanted to incorporate them somehow because I just love like the door frames. So I thought I knew, I've been doing more like uh, cool tone editing as well. I used to be more on the warmer side. Now I'm liking more like the teals, the greens, the blues, and the cyan and all that. Um, so the makeup concept was good to go with that. And I have a makeup artist again, who is awesome. I can say, I kind of like this color. And he's like, cool. I already know what you want. And again, he's worked with me more in the past. So that's a bonus right there. Um and then wardrobe, I pulled a few things that I thought would work. And luckily, like my instinct firsthand, it worked very well. But I'd like to give myself a backup because sometimes I might think, okay, I've got the model, got the location, got what I'm doing. And then the wardrobe looks like shit. And I have to think, how am I going to fix this? So again, my brain goes to adapting very quickly. I think I've, I just had that happen before. Um, 
a few years ago, I was shooting um, out of town. It was in Nevada. It was like outside of Vegas. And I had like an hour to shoot like four looks. And I did it. And my brain just adapted to like, okay, like we literally have one location. How can I change it? So I don't know if that answered your question or helped you at all. Um, I think, but that's important. Like a kind of just a, a skill to have is adapting your brain. Like you might have all the things you need. You have your model, you have your location, you have your wardrobe, whatever order works best for your brain is kind of how I tell people. It might not be the answer they want to hear. Um, some people might just think I need to see a person's face to know what I'm shooting. Right. But yeah, I, I like, I like the challenge. <laughs> I like the adapting of like, okay. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, uh, so when I started photography, not to bore you too much with my, my side of things, but when I started photography, I was actually living in a place in Surrey in England called Chesington. And Chesington is ugly to, to say the least. It's, it's not an attractive area by any stretch of the imagination. And sort of using the local area to photograph, I sort of developed this ability to hide the location or to find little pockets of, of nice area, basically by focusing on light and shooting very narrow depth of field just to hide the, the ugly ass end of, of Surrey. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I developed this way of kind of protecting myself from an ugly location, but I developed it so well that when I became a wedding photographer and I started photographing some absolutely stunning venues, I would be like looking for pockets to work in (laughs) and not really capturing the whole location because I was so Mm -hmm. used to narrowing down my work areas. Do you ever worry about like kind of getting too set in your ways with, with any sort of area of your photography? Do you ever worry about getting too comfortable and and what do you do to kind of remedy that? Yeah. I mean, like, I think that kind of goes back to kind of looking almost like when you look back at your own work and stuff. And I, I find that a lot too. I'm like, okay, like I've been doing this and been getting a little comfortable with it. How can I change it? And I don't know if that's always the case for your clients because sometimes again, going back client work is going to be a little bit different than your creative work. Sometimes you can do adapting it a little bit, but that's really not what clients are necessarily wanting. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, yes. To answer your question. (laughs) Um, yeah, just a, just a bold. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So let's jump onto a subject that I know very little about. I've attempted it twice and both times came out with mixed versions of terrible. And it's a a form of photography that I think is going to be an interesting conversation is boudoir. Um, firstly, mm-hmm. it sounds absolutely horrendous when you say it with, a, with an English accent. It sounds so sordid when you say <laughs> boudoir. With an American accent, I find it to be much more uh, palatable, but with an English accent, it sounds almost like I'm ashamed of it. Um, but with boudoir photography, and I, I, I want to kind of put on the record here that I absolutely hate asking this question, <laughs> but, but from the perspective that I'm coming at, it makes sense. Are there any benefits to being a female photographer when it comes to photographing um, boudoir photography? So I'll say one thing before I answer that. I don't like the term boudoir. I use it because oh, people know it. Right. I use it because people know it. Um, I prefer prefer more like intimate portraiture. People are going to be like, huh? To that one. If you're not right. in the industry, you don't know. Um, you know, I, it's, boudoir is like a place. Like it's your bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it goes, it goes really, really beyond that. And that can be 
kind of a conversation that I'm sure like for another time, but I mean, like that's, I think a lot of people that shoot boudoir kind of feel that way as well. It's just, for some reason it became a word that was adapted. Cause I think, you know, that's, you know, where these images are supposed to be like private in your bedroom, but I don't know. Right. I don't quote me on that one. I don't know. Um, I should know that probably, um, benefits of being a woman boudoir photographer, probably, um, especially, you know, we're luckily in a time where if somebody is being creepy and inappropriate is getting called out online, you know? And I think mm -hmm. that's a one benefit of the internet. I don't know about cancel culture again. That's a whole other conversation, but, um, on a, you know, it, a lot of times it is a man getting called out for inappropriate behavior with, you know, models and scantily clad women. Um, I know some pretty amazing male boudoir photographers. I know that they have to not struggle. That's the wrong word. They have to work a little bit harder to prove who they are. And right. I mean, it's, there's a diff, there's a difference between if you put two photographers next to each other, maybe that are both man, male, excuse me. And, uh, you know, one has very high quality work and obviously cares. They care about the lighting. They care about the wardrobe. They care about the client. And then you have one that's just kind of has a woman standing there in her underwear. Yeah. You know, that's, it's, you can tell that one works a little bit harder and actually cares. Um, that's not to say that there's not inappropriate women photographers out there. I'm sure that there are. Um, but even me, I would feel more comfortable with a woman photographing me that way. But yeah. I've also have, I've had, I have male friend that male friends that are boudoir photographers and they photograph me like that. But I also had that trust and that relationship with them. Trust is the interesting word, right? Because it's not just mm -hmm. the very obvious safety mm -hmm. aspect, but it's also, I don't know the Americanism. I certainly don't know the Missouri Americanism for this, but <laughs> there's, a, there's an expression, a, a word that we use here, which is the word tacky. And it means kind of, oh God, it's so hard. I, I, you'd have thought after a full year of speaking to nonstop Zoom calls to people in America, I would be able to get this stuff down. But tacky basically means kind of a little bit sleazy, a little bit cheap. And there's, there's obviously a, a whole lane. I mean, you don't really have to spend much time at all on the explore page of Instagram if you are in any way related to photography to find photographers that do kind of make a living out of making tacky images for people mm -hmm. to, uh, let's say, enjoy. How do you go about making your images have that, that, that taste and that substance compared to, like you just said, you know, you can sort of see the ones that are put more effort in. Is it a case of understanding your lighting, understanding your posing and the mood and everything? Or is, you know, what is it that really sets aside the, the good intimate portraiture from the tacky stuff? Well, I think all of that, honestly. And um, one of the first things we talked about, having that connection with my client. Um, whenever I have somebody like send in like, hey, I'm interested in a session. I get on the phone with them. I know a lot of people don't want to talk on the phone, but I, it makes a world of difference for me to talk to them and find out their comfort level as well. It's a big thing for me. And I will consistently through a session, ask somebody if they're comfortable with a pose or uh, like a wardrobe choice. Like maybe they brought some things. Maybe I have some things. Are you comfortable with this? Are you not comfortable with this? And they have absolute freedom to say something even during their session. Hey, you know what? I said I would do this, but I don't want to do this anymore. So that's okay. I, you know, my brain can 
adapt to that very quickly to be like, okay, well, we're not doing this pose. We're going to do something else. Um, I, I just, I think the main thing is communication and then all the other things kind of fall with it as well. Um, I'm not a pinup photographer by any means that is going to be way different lighting and wardrobe and hair and makeup and stuff like that. Um, you know, and I, I explain things like that, like, cause sometimes people will send me inspiration photos and I'm like, okay. Um, but is that what you want? Um, you know, it's, because I'm thinking of hard lighting and I'm thinking of some of the images I've seen, unfortunately of, you know, women kind of standing there with like hard light and there's not much else to it. (laughs) Um, and I think that that's kind of just boudoir photographers in general, but a lot of male photographers I know that are moving more into boudoir. They're like, I don't know how to pose somebody. And my recommendation would probably be talk to a woman boudoir photographer as a mentor or get education from that. And usually helps if it's like live, you know, like mentoring, like a person or like some kind of video to see also how we talk to our clients. Um, you know, like we have, like, I'm just more of a soft spoken person as I'm shooting anyway, but I'm also very delicate that this is somebody, you know, most of my clients, I do have repeat clients, of course, but most of my clients are walking in like I've never the here I think I hear the most is I've never done this before. Right. I'm nervous. And the, you know, portrait clients get more nervous as well, but this is way different. This is you're putting somebody's vulnerability there it's in your hands. And there are people out there that are going to exploit it for just money. And that is obviously the wrong reason in my opinion to get into the business. Sure. Like boudoir photographers can make a great amount of money. Photographers in general can make a great amount of money. And that's amazing. Um, but I think it's always important to know why you're doing it as well. And I think that there's kind of, there was a, tr- there's a big trend in boudoir and I feel like it's still going on. And it started a couple of years ago where it's like, this is the new thing. This is how you make money. All you have to do is just photograph women in their underwear. This is great. I get to hang out with women right. all day, you know, and <laughs> Unfortunately, I again, this is just my opinion. I feel like that that stigma still sticks around when there are people that are like, I care about this. This is my business. I want women to feel empowered. I want them to feel beautiful. I want them to feel amazing, you know, and then they photograph them with their significant others later. And, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's just my opinion to say something is a bad photograph, but is it bad because of how I feel for the client or is it bad on a technical sense? It can kind of go all over the place. I am very, I'm very delicate with that too, because you know what? It might just be somebody who's new in the industry. They just don't know. And that's okay. That's why you educate yourself. You get mentors and you figure that out. So I don't ever want to just assume something by looking at a photograph. Because again, we're all on different levels, but it's kind of one of those things where you, if you see it consistently over the years from the same person, you're kind of like, what are you doing? Okay. So let me ask you a question then. I have to go down a tiny tangent, but I think we're okay with that. I'm, I'm a wedding photographer by trade essentially. And I, at one point I had someone who I knew from a previous life message me and say, I've passed on your information to a guy I know who's looking for a, for a photographer for him and his girlfriend or him and his fiance. Sorry. And I was like, okay, cool. The guy eventually emails me and he asked me what my sort of time scale is over the course of the day. 
So I explained to him, well, you know, if, if I'm there for bride prep and I'm, I'm booked for this many hours, I would leave at this point and so on. You go through the usual conversation. He said, so you don't stay throughout the, the whole evening. And I was like, well, no, not normally like throughout the entire thing. It does happen on occasion. You have the usual back and forth. And then it mm-hmm. kind of, it was weird. He kept sticking to this, how long am I there for point? And eventually I, I just said, is it something that you're looking for where I'm there all night? And he said, yeah, specifically all night. And I was like, okay, so what time does the, the, you know, the party wrap up essentially? And he's like, well, everyone will be leaving at about 11, but we'd like you to stick around. And I was like, okay. And I was like, so what would I be photographing? And he's like, well, have you ever photographed a wedding night? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I, I don't know if I like where this is going, but I don't want to be like, I don't want to make an assumption and, and make this very awkward. So I was like, well, specifically, what do you mean? And I don't know if you've ever seen Austin Powers, but there's a word that the, the, the British public used to use a lot. Uh, the British press still use a fair bit, but it's a word I absolutely can't stand. It's the word shag, um, meaning, in, <laughs> meaning intercourse. And he asked if yes. I would be willing to photograph him and his new wife shag. And I very, very abruptly ended the conversation and then had a go at the person that recommended me for this particular job. Now I'm a wedding photographer and I've had that inappropriate of a, a thing put forward to me. I, I got to imagine with, I know we don't like the term, but with boudoir photography, you must have had some kind of situation where someone has either wanted to do something really hilariously absurd or maybe a little bit too far down the route that you didn't want to go. You know, I've actually, you know, I'm, I'm going to knock on wood here. I've been really lucky and not had too many inappropriate conversations slash emails, because I think I know when to stop it. I'm not saying, I'm not like, you know, taking a jab at you. Um, I think maybe there's a good sense of reading people right away where I'm like, I'm not the right person for you. I kind of know what you're asking me to do. Um, I actually don't photograph a lot of couples as well. I will photograph couples once I know the woman. Cause I primarily, right. I mean like 99% of my work is with women. I do photograph men, but especially on a more intimate level, I have to know them or know their wife or significant other. Um, because again, it's a comfort level for me as well. I would never want somebody to come back at me and be like, you photographed my husband this way. How dare you? You know, there's a whole other line there too. Of course it's, you know, that person is their whole, uh, is their own person. But again, it's, it's just another thing I kind of try to avoid as much as I can. Um, but no, I've actually, I've heard some horror stories, unfortunately, but I've been pretty lucky that I've never had anybody step over what I felt was a boundary with me on what I'll photograph. And, um, during conversations too, I'm very, very open that I'm like, Hey, we can do things that might be a little bit more. I don't know if I like the word necessarily, but risque, but we, I will not cross the line. And I kind of lay it out too. Like I will not photograph you know, erotica, like it's just not my jam. It's not for me. Um, I will not photograph, you know, if it's you and your significant other, I will not photograph you guys having sex. I just won't. Um, you know, I'm sure that there's a price in my head somewhere where it's (laughs) tens of thousands of dollars that I would do it. But you know, like I've, you know, it's never come up. Um, because to me, it's really important to, I'm not photographing. I'm just not photographing that. Um, right. <laughs> it's not part of me. It's, it's not, it's just not what I do there. I do know a lot like photographers that do erotica and will do that. And they do beautiful work. I would just feel like 
what angle am I going to do? <laughs> um, but no, again, like I've just, I've been very lucky that maybe I've been very good to stop a conversation before it happens and just be like, Hey, I just don't think that this is the right fit. If this is what you're looking for. And a lot of times I'll know somebody, I'll throw a name out and send them their way. Or I'll just be like, you know what, this is where you should search for that kind of photographer. Well, it's really, it's going to go one of two ways for you now because you've spoken the Vogue thing into existence. So really <laughs> what's probably going to happen is you're going to get offered a Vogue shoot and also on the same day have some complete creep message you asking you to take pictures of something you absolutely don't even want to think about. I feel like I need to, as, as, the, as the captain of this fast-sinking ship because of the story that I brought up there, I need to steer this back uh, to, to slightly more enjoyable waters. Um, I want to ask you a question about retouching because I feel like with magazines, they've taken quite a hit over the last few years uh, with sort of the, um, the body positivity movement and wanting to encourage more ethical retouching on images. I was kind of curious to see where you stood on that and on the state of retouching at the moment. I mean, I think it kind of just depends on where it's like what the publication is and what it's selling. Um, I think hopefully by this point with, you know, the age of the internet and everything, people know that most images are retouched. Um, it can go, gosh, I was just, I really got stuck on like watching YouTube videos the other night and just watching about people's opinions on retouching. And now you can do so much of that on your phone and you can do Facetune. I didn't even know what Facetune was until recently. And so again, I was watching these videos and I was like, whoa. And you know, like basically you can edit yourself to be slimmer and taller in a video now. Like it's insane. I think it's wild to me to think that like, with like two clicks on my phone, I could be a completely different person. Um, I am a retoucher as well. And it, I obviously like I do retouching on my images. Um, I don't go out of my way to make somebody not look like them. And I do let people know that too. You know, it's, uh, it's important to me that you look at your photo and you're like, that's me, you know, instead of like, it's, that's a tough question too, because you know, like when you're doing like beauty shoots, they need to be retouched. They have to look a certain way. You need to show the makeup. They need to be like more on the, I guess, like a glossy magazine look in its own right. But I think that there's a lot of things in the industry that have turned where it doesn't have to be that way. Um, I'm kind of for either way. Um, but I think it's important. And I think a lot of like even um, social media is going to start pushing this. Or if you have a really highly retouched image, like if you're somebody, it's a, like a huge celebrity status that does that, you have to put something on there that you did that. I, I think I read that that's kind of what they're trying to push for on social media. Because there is this like, you know, sense of like, oh my gosh, she's so perfect or he's so perfect. And then you look online and, you know, somebody posted behind the scenes and you're like, oh, okay. So they're putting out, I think a lot of times too. And, you know, I mean, the what is the best example of probably retouching your photos? The Kardashians, right? And I'm not yeah. even going to get into them. I don't, I don't have an opinion on them. I don't love them. I don't hate them. They just exist. I don't follow celebrity news either. But, you know, they're whole aesthetic is being highly retouched and you know there's (laughs) i don't even know how many pages where it's like here's the retouch image here's the real photo and it's like you know it it's that's a it's such a loaded hard question because i am for photographers that don't really do retouching and they're like hey 
you know, like this is how it is. And then the ones that do retouching, you know, and I think in its own right, I kind of fall in between because yes, I do retouch my images. No, I'm not going to photograph somebody who is like, I'm on the more on the curvy side. I'm not going to make myself like a stick, you know, like, because that's not my body and I'm not going to do that for a client. I'm not going to do that for a model. If I want somebody with that particular look, I'm going to go find them. I'm not going to just Photoshop them to be different. And I think that happens sometimes with like certain publications or companies. And they're like, this is the model we have. We have to basically Photoshop them to look like what we want. And I think a lot of companies have come under fire for that kind of stuff as well, where they're kind of presenting something that's not real. And I'm in its own right, I'm kind of happy to see that because I think it has pushed people to be more comfortable with themselves. But I don't think retouching is evil as well. I think there's a fine line where you're doing it for the positive aesthetic of a photo and then a you're completely changing somebody, which I don't agree with. So it's a loaded question with a loaded answer. <laughs> I do apologize. I've kind of I've kind of set you up there, but I do feel like one thing that we're gonna kind of see as we slowly turn this corner with things is that changing the edit on the photo isn't necessarily going to change the expected outcome. And actually what would be really helpful is to just start to educate people to stop idolizing celebrities and to stop idolizing what they see on their phone and to stop idolizing aesthetics as much mm-hmm. in, in quite the way that they are. Like, you know, you mentioned the Kardashians. I'm, I'm on board with you there. I don't really care one way or the other. They're never really within the realm of what I interact with on a daily basis. The only time I tend to hear about them is like bride preps at weddings where one person will bring them up and talk about contouring or something or talk about what one of them tweeted. And I, I just don't really care. I don't, I don't lose any sleep over them one way or the other. Um, the problem for me is that the idea of idolizing the way someone else looks is not a good state for young people to sort of be in. I mean, it's always good to be aspirational, but it feels like we're kind of attacking, you know, the wrong end of the problem and hoping that the outcome works out. Really, we need people with, you know, good mental health support to be focused on the right things and not necessarily focused on the wrong things. I feel like, you know, you're right. I think they are about to instill, I think Facebook for sure is going to have this thing where it's like this this image has been photoshopped underneath it as a disclaimer. And I feel like all that's going to lead to is more bullying and more harassment Mm -hmm. and more putting down of particularly women. And it just feels like, you know, I I was saying this two years ago to a friend of mine who's a very, very staunch modern feminist about magazine covers being incredibly sexist and they're setting up completely unrealistic standards for women. And, you know, men set up these horrible standards for women to live up to. And I, I keep saying, I don't disagree potentially with the idea that the standards are bad, that it's a bad idea to show an unachievable level of beauty. I I understand the problem there. I don't really think though that builders, plumbers and random sort of men on the street are the ones picking the images that go through to the cover of Vogue or Harper's Bazaar or or whatever magazine. That this is, a, a you know, we've we've kind of identified an issue potentially with mental health, but we're focusing entirely on who can we blame it on as opposed mm-hmm. to how about we just adjust the attitude and make this a less significant part of people's lives? Yeah. I mean, you know, all of this stuff is at our fingertips. 
steps. I mean, I'm literally on a conversation with you on my phone, you know, and I can swipe off of I our have conversation been when we're by done. The way, just so you know, I have been photoshopped. <laughs> well, that's the thing too, is retouching has been around since camera, like cameras yeah. were a thing, right? I don't know how that sounded completely silly the way I said that, but you know, like if you look at some of the old like Hollywood actors and actresses, like those are retouched. Obviously you just did it in the dark room. You just did it differently or you put a little Vaseline on the lid. So having this sense of being ourselves, but just a little bit more beautified is not anything new. It's just that it's so shoved in our faces now. And actually it's kind of funny, like even doing stuff as editorial or for publications, I usually never look at a magazine stand like ever. Like I just like, I walk right past it. Like I don't even, I, and maybe that's just being in the industry. I'm like, I already know that's photoshopped, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like little things like that's not the background they shot her on or, you know, it, it's like stuff like that. And, uh, but I'm also coming from a sense of knowing that I can't, I try to put myself back in the brain of being like a 12 year old. And again, like when I was 12, like, you know, the internet wasn't what it is now and there wasn't like Instagram or anything, but I try to put myself back in the brain of a 12 year old, but maybe even more modern and be like, Oh my gosh. Like you think that that's a sense of reality. And I think it, you know, this is a conversation that could go on forever about it, but I think it's important to have the education on it. Like, yes, like photos are altered. A lot of times there is this sense of, you know, I mean, some people completely alter a photo and that's, that's on them. Like, you know, it's like, I'm not going to call out anybody or anything. Like I'm not the photographer. I'm not the retoucher on it. I'm not the person that commissioned it. Like it's not me, but I also, again, I know because I'm in the same industry. I do the same things. Like I'm a retoucher, I know. But I try to, sometimes I, I think I can, I personally can lose a sense of reality because I'm like, oh, I'm not the, the everyday person looking at a magazine cover thinking, how did she look like that? How did they get her to look so perfect? And I mean, like they, I even like, again, I was stuck in this hole of watching YouTube videos the other night, you know, people talking about these very conversations and, you know, certain paparazzi are paid to follow around big celebrities and then they Photoshop yeah. those images. Yeah. And it's, it's a ridiculous state to be in where, you know, I mean, this is a whole rabbit hole, but just there's almost just an entire illusion unfolding where everything we're seeing on social media in some way is in that way doctored and right down to, you know, the way that people describe what they're going through and things like that. Maybe it's just time I, I like to think of myself as a beautiful pessimist. I, I like to think the whole world is always ending. It's a wonderful state of mind to be in. It's been particularly <laughs> successful this year. And I like to think that maybe we'd all do a little bit better if we were all just a little bit more cynical and stop thinking that things are the way that they're being presented. You know, someone saying that uh, there's, a, there's a model here in England who's known to uh, quite a few people that I know, and she's always posting stuff online about the next big job that she's going to, the next big editorial, the next big campaign. And she'll, she'll post photos from on a shoot. And it's like, it's the same, it's the same mirror and bathroom every time. It's like, that's your, that's your bathroom. Like you're not on a big job, Mm -hmm. you're at your house. You got out of your dressing gown, you decided to make a post to make it seem like you're busy. And then you've probably gone back to, you know, watching Stranger Things or whatever. And there's to an extent, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just like to see probably a higher level of cynicism being taught 
to younger people. So they're not so engaged all the time with everything that's in front of them being necessarily true. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's also, that's a job that's too big. And I'm not saying that like it, it shouldn't be done. Cause obviously I think that there are so many people out there in the industry. Like I have so many friends that are photographers that are so into like body positive movements and all of these things they are, they're just like, they're incredible. Like I couldn't even do half of what they do for the industry and for like, it's insane. Like they're just beautiful people, but it's, it's such a big job. <laughs> Unless there would be a complete change in society, which I'm going to sound a little pessimistic and say that I don't ever see that happening, but I think that there's the right steps that are being taken you know, and you yeah. just, you, you can't, it's like the sense of like, you just can't save everybody in its own right. You can try, you can put out as much information as possible, but you know, if it's on Instagram, someone's going to swipe up and be like, whatever. And someone else might be like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And yeah. you know, maybe with this person you're talking about, maybe you feel like, wow, how do they get so many jobs? And I don't, but it's kind of, I guess in its own right. I kind of stay, I stay in a bubble, like, and kind of like I do my thing and I talk to people and I, you know, do education. And then for the most part, like I'm kind of, the older I get, I'm more shut off to things like that where I'm like, it's not a positive impact on my life or I've put the little bit of time into it. I need to, for the day, I have to shut off. And what we had spoken about before, like we started the podcast is I literally limit my news intake to like once a day Mm -hmm. for my brain. And am I probably on social media a little too much? Yeah. Sometimes I have it on my computer and I kind of forget it's on, but I, I've noticed such a change in a positive way for my mental health to not be comparing myself. And I think that we do it even as artists, we're comparing to, you know, the other photographer artist next to us. And that's not healthy as well. So I think that there's a big sense of, I know it's harder right now. There's lockdowns. There's it's 2020, but (laughs) being on the phone and paying attention to that stuff less has been hugely beneficial for me and actually affected a lot of my work in a very positive light. And, you know, what am I happy with? What am I not happy with? What is a reoccurring theme with clients? How are they feeling? And how can I help that? How can I educate them to know like we can achieve this, but let me kind of break down this photo for you and why it looks the way it does. I'll do that as well. Like, I mean, I'm I'm never going to tear apart someone else's work or editing or any of that stuff, but I want to give somebody realistic expectations when they walk in. If they're like, I love this photo. I'll be like, okay, well, this is how we can achieve it here and for you. Because we know that maybe a photo that works well for me might not work well for like my best friend next to me who looks completely different or vice versa. So it's really just kind of coming back to full circle. This whole thing is just educating your client on what's, I don't want to say what's real and what's not because these are real people still, you know, like celebrities and all that. They are real people, but how can I educate them to be like, Hey, you know what? These are, you know, they hired the best makeup artists. They hired the best, you know, of the best of the best. They have a whole team with them all the time to achieve, you know, their brand. 
but how can this work for you? Like we can do this, but here's how it's going to work amazing for you. Well, I've taken up entirely too much of your time, especially with such deep conversation. It's been absolutely fascinating to listen to. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry about that. I don't know why. I think, I think I just got a vibe and I went with it. I've got two (laughs) questions there for you and I'm going to try and keep them profoundly positive, I promise. And then I'll let you escape back into (laughs) the real world. My first question is obviously 2020 has been a steaming pile of shit for just about everybody. And I would have to say from my own perspective, the creative side of me has been driven insane by this year, the lack of progress in what I wanted to be doing and the ideas that I had of what I wanted to do. That's been the hardest part for me of 2020 on top of all of the other stuff. You're a wonderfully creative person. Have you set yourself goals now for sort of 2021 that you want to, you want to sort of fire yourself out of this year as quickly as possible and hit the ground running? It's, it's a very strange thing because I don't want to say, because I mean, this year is very loaded and there's been a lot of highly terrible things happening. Um, this year has been actually very positive for me. It, um, really not being able to travel because I I was traveling so much with educating and doing other things that I really lost a sense of me in there somewhere. So this has kind of been like, I'm stuck with my brain. What are we doing? And I mean, honestly, like the the rest of this month, I had a lot of goals written down because you're right. I am somebody who has like notebooks everywhere. And (laughs) I really, I'm I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited and optimistic for the next year. I mean, I don't think January 1, everything changes, you know, but I want to kind of have that feeling. And, you know, we're all adapting to really like everything being online right now. So I, my plan is to kind of push a little bit more education and kind of almost come out of my like semi-sabbatical and really work on that. Um, I really... I I've, My business has really picked up the last couple of months. I think that... I don't know what, I don't know what happened. (laughs) It's all been a very positive thing too. Like, again, I'm trying to find all the positives out of this crazy year as I can. Um, and it looks like it's, you know, hopefully going to kind of roll into the next year as well. Um, I've had some really amazing clients. I've had different clients too than other, like, like my normal like market. And, yeah, I'm really excited just to kind of see what happens with that. And uh, honestly, just like if I if I keep creating and I keep my mind going, that's when I'm happy in it. happiest because I have a brain that goes, like I said, a million miles a minute. And yeah, I I'm trying to find focus for all my goals. Um, I used to be the person that's like work on six things, twenty things at once, and now I'm like narrow it down to like three (laughs) at a time (laughs) to like focus on, you know? And, uh, no, I have like, I have a couple like things. There's a few things I don't really want to talk about just yet, but yeah, that I'm, I'm I'm optimistic and pretty excited for all of, you know, things to hopefully eventually, you know, (laughs) work out for the world and, uh, we can all get back to, I don't want to say normal because it's not going to be normal, the new normal, I guess. So. And my last question, I, I find this uh, infinitely interesting when someone shoots a variety of genres of photography like yourself with portraiture editorials and then uh, intimate portraiture, as you put it. <laughs> Which one do you prefer of the three? Do you use like one to offset the other? When you get sick of, of editorial, do you go back to portraits? Or do you have one that's like your creative go-to for when the, the, you, when you need to kind of cleanse the palette of the hard work that you've been doing 
and bring some positivity in? Do you go to one specific genre or do you use them against each other? Um, you know, I kind of like to mix them all together in their own way. Even when I talk to like clients when they're, you know, trying to book, I'm like, you know, what are you booking? Cause for the most part, I have my prices set the same. Um, you know, and I like to do a mix during a session as well. Like we'll do little portraits and then we'll do more boudoir. And I always want my client to feel like their images could be in a magazine. So that kind of ties into the editorial as well. I want them to feel like they're a supermodel for the day. So in its own right, everything kind of, I think that's why I shoot those three specifically because I like all three of them so much that I like to bring them all together and like kind of side note of what I said before. I think I don't like the word boudoir, even though I just used it, but I think it's such a broad term that I like to you, you might think boudoir is somebody standing in the bra, but to me that's not. So there's kind of that mix of fashion and that as well. So I, I, I don't know if I ever cleanse my palette. Maybe that's something I should do. <laughs> um, one thing I don't do, I don't shoot weddings. So, um, and no newborns, those are going to be my two, like, <laughs> ne- those are never going to cleanse my palate. Like, I'm sorry. Um, maybe an awesome destination wedding eventually I'll consider, but like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think I just love those three genres so much that I do that I don't ever really need a break from them. Amazing. Now, as I told you before we started the podcast, this is essentially a vehicle for me to throw a temper tantrum and make other people like things that I like. Um, so this is the most important part of the entire podcast, even more important than all of the incredibly deep conversation that we had there for some reason. And um, this is the most important part, which is where we tell everyone where they can go to find all of your work. So this is your chance to plug away all of your social media and website oh. and so on. <laughs> Uh, well, my website is my name. So it's shannonkdorney.com. And my Instagram is at shannon underscore k underscore Doherty. Um, I'm going to spell my last name because not everybody knows how to spell it. So it's D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y. And those are the main platforms to get a hold of me. I do have a Pinterest and a Facebook, but I'll be honest, don't use them as much. But Instagram is like the one to really, really reach me at. I mean, it's always nice as well to speak to a photographer that has so much trouble with other people understanding their last name, as you can probably tell <laughs> by looking at our Zoom conversation right now. I don't have the most easily pronounced last name, so we we have a little bit of a, a a bit of a connection there as well. It's it's such a privilege to have the chance to talk to someone like yourself, so talented and obviously so intelligent, so wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, I appreciate it.